0: 831 381 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
1: We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, March twelfth, two 2015. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you. And good to be with you as well. And we're good. To, good to be with you. We got our main man, Monty, running oh, the board okay. again tonight. Yes, Monty's uh, here. Monty
2: is becoming a regular fixture at the uh, at the control board. We everybody else has had so many uh, scheduling conflicts that we've had to call him Monty. I think this is at least the third week in a row.
1: Yeah. But so Monty is here. Thank you, Monty, for taking time away from your family tonight. Thank you, Jacob. Good to, to be here. here. And. Uh, We'll look forward to hearing from you, Monty. We'll look forward to hearing from you, our listeners, on the other end of the line. We're glad you're here as well, 877 at college Questions at collegeview.com. Lots of folks are signing in the chat room there uh, tonight, and we'll look forward to hearing from you as well. Uh, here. And uh, Travis is uh, in the chat room tonight. Travis is listening in his, uh, in his big rig tonight. Oh, good. Good tractor deal. Tractor trailer tonight. So all right. Glad that you're on the other end of the line there tonight, Travis. It, Steve in keep, Texas. What do they say? Keep the shiny side up and the dirty side down. That's right. So you want to do that. So that's always good, a good philosophy. Steve is there. He's very excited for another VBS. Well, that may be that's Jenna. Jenna.
2: That may be Jenna. Yeah. Jenna
1: is there. Thank, thank you, Jenna, for that. We'll look forward to hearing from you all. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. As some of our listeners have done already sent their questions, not their answers, but their questions tonight. We're going to talk about some of those. Yeah, we're going to deal with the listener questions tonight, Jacob. We we do this,
2: it's, and th- I'm really, actually glad we do this on an increasing increasing frequency, it's, it seems like. The more and more we're getting questions, and so we invite those, and then if if we're going to invite them, I think we have to deal with them, and so we try to deal with them as best we can. That's right. Uh, Sometimes we've made whole programs out of questions, but very often we do as we're doing tonight. We'll take several questions and just put them in a package and well, and we we'll call it listener questions. Because
1: sometimes you struggle about what do you want to talk about? Do people care about this? Well, we'll know at least four people tonight will care about the program because yeah. it's their questions.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's that. Sometimes we call it the the uh, smorgasbord uh, program. Just deal. With a these, lot of common themes here, though. Yeah. There's a. Uh, in fact, you said three, if, uh, four people. Uh, Actually, questions three and four came from the same source. It's oh, okay.
1: so only three people are going to like the show
2: tonight. But uh, anyway, I think they're worthy questions. A lot of them deal with the Lord's Supper. That's going to be probably at least the full second half of our uh, uh, program tonight. We'll deal with questions about the Lord's Supper. But we start out with one in which we're asked to explain. Ex- would How would you explain... Revelation three fourteen, which speaks of Jesus as the beginning of the creation of God. You yes. got
1: it there, Jacob. Yeah, Revelation chapter three fourteen. The listener may have been talking with those of the Jehovah's Witness persuasion. Revelation chapter three verse fourteen says, "And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God." And so the argument goes. So uh-huh. our, Jehovah's,
2: uh, our Jehovah's Witness friends argue that jesus is a created being he's not deity
1: but he's a created being. he was the first created being but he is a created and, being. and he was the first it says it says he's the beginning of it yeah. in other words that's yeah. how god started he created jesus the jehovah's
2: witnesses teach that they're, they're not the first ones through history to have come up with that doctrine uh, but they are the ones i think in the in our present world who probably identify with that position most and that is the idea of jesus not deity he's a created being
3: all right
1: Um, so we obviously don't believe that and so the question is how do you explain then that uh, revelation 3 verse 14 says jesus was the beginning of the creation of god okay there there would be just from that phrase the beginning
2: of the creation of god there'd be just logically a couple ways to take that okay one would be God was going to create things, and he began with Jesus. He was the beginning of the things God created. I think you could interpret that phrase, if it stood by itself, you could interpret that phrase that way. The way
1: that Jehovah's Witnesses the want us Je- to believe it. Right. Okay.
2: But you could interpret that expression a different way, too. For instance, uh, let's say out, out west there's a big forest fire, and I and and we're talking about it, and I, and I say, you know, Jacob – the beginning of that forest fire is when they cut down a bunch of trees and left them there and didn't clean up the mess, and there was a lot of dry wood on the ground. And it was just ripe. That's before. what started the fire. It was the and so But it, the, the beginning of this problem was, mm-hmm. the, the, in other words, the source, mm-hmm. the origin of this forest fire was some time back when they cut down a bunch of trees and didn't clean up the mess, and they left a lot of dry wood on the ground, it, and, and so it was just ripe for ignition okay. and a fire. So I could say... The beginning of that was when they cut those trees down. I okay. Think. And what I'm talking about is the, the source, the origin of that problem dates back to that time. Yes. Okay. All right. So uh, the, the, I'm just saying that the phrase could go, you could, in, if, it, if you just had that phrase and if it was just standing there alone, you could interpret that either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what is the correct way? That's yeah. the question.
1: Travis says he's been studying with the JWs for about a month, and uh, he says Jesus is God, so he is the beginning. And that was would, would harmonize with the explanation you just gave, how it makes sense using the English language to say that Jesus was the beginning of the creation and that he started the creation. The Greek seems to support that as well. The, the the Greek language, the original language, supports the explanation you gave.
2: Yeah, Thayer says that the word there that is translated in English as the beginning means literally source or origin. Okay. He's the origin of what was created. Yeah. Uh, and that really, now that actually harmonizes with what else we know the scriptures teach. Yes. For instance, in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses have such a problem with that with that text that they that their translation, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own English translation right. called the New World right. Translation. Right. They actually changed the wording of Add that. Word. Yeah, they say yeah. in the begin verse one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. Right. Uh so they 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 have to try to play with the translation there. But that's actually not the part that I'm keying in on right here. The part I'm keying in on is verse 3 where it says all things were made by him. All things. Everything made was made by him. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And therefore that would exclude jesus from being a made or created thing he's not in the realm of things that are created because he created
1: everything, created everything. and nothing that was made was made without him so so we have uh, to we, that, that helps us to explain then what this means in revelation chapter 3 verse 14 but now aaron in baton rouge sends in an, an interesting email and he harmonizes revelation chapter 3 verse 14 with the rest of revelation notice this In each of the letters to the seven churches, Jesus identifies himself using certain images taken from the vision of the Son of Man in chapter 1. When Jesus identifies himself as the beginning, he is drawing from statements in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and Revelation chapter 1, verse 11. He is the Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, sentiments repeated in chapters 21 and 22. I know that some use this verse to teach that Jesus was created, but we have to understand verse chapter 3, verse 14, is simply an excerpt from chapter 1. When Jesus describes himself as not only the beginning but also the end, nobody uses that concept to teach that Jesus will come to an end when the physical creation ends. You catch that, what he's saying there? Jesus said he's the beginning and the end. Are they teaching that Jesus will come to an end himself? Since If he oh, had a literal beginning, no, they're not. Oh, interesting. He says he's the one who brought it about and the one who will bring it to an end. And he existed forever before and after. Whatever you say about beginning, you must also consistently say about end. Good. Good I
2: never thought about it that, that way. Tra- um, Aaron is in the chat room. He says, to be fair, I, I referenced Thayer. He says, to be fair, Thayer also says the word can mean the first person or thing in a series, which is what the JWs want it to mean, of course. He says Thayer's not definitive on that. I would agree. However, Thayer gives us his first definition, source or origin.
1: Yeah. All right. Phil is in the chat room. Good to hear from you, Phil. Uh, he references Colossians one verse sixteen: For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Colossians one sixteen would go along with the passage in John John one. That says Jesus is not in the realm of
3: something that's created. Yeah, I
2: think that's right. I think Colossians one sixteen is is can be used to make exactly the same point. It says if it says all things were created by Him, all things were created, then He Himself could not be a created thing. If all things that's that's all that's inclusive, all things were created by Him, obviously, then He Himself is not a created thing. Okay, Uh, and you know you know sometimes we are asked um, uh, about His Um, about this idea of his preeminence you know the, the the part of this is describing his preeminent state as well but but i really do think that that the beginning of the creation of god is to be rightly understood as
1: the the one who did it he's the source of it quickly before we go to the break edward is sending an email edward thank you for your comments tonight he says within the context of revelation god is all about making old things new in christ revelation 21 verse 5 Jesus, therefore, the firstborn from the dead, Revelation 1, verse 5, and the beginning a ruler of the creation of God, Revelation 3, verse 14. Christ is the first one to be born again from the dead, and for this purpose he was brought into the world, Hebrews 1, 6, and uh, cross-referencing chapter 2, verse 9 and following. In redeeming sinners, he becomes the firstborn of many brethren, Romans 8, verse 29. This places him above not only the physical creation, but the spiritual creation and recreation as well, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, Ephesians 1, 19 through 21. As we are resurrected from the likeness of his death to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, verses 3 through 11, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, we become part of this new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. The Greek word arche, is that the word that you yeah, have? I think known? so. Uh, has several nuances of meaning, which are captured in various English translations of this verse. In terms of the physical creation of the world, several passages teach that Jesus was already eternally present, John 1, 1 through eighteen eight John 8, verses 58, Philippians 2, verses 5-8, through 8, Colossians 1, verse 16, Hebrews 7, verse 3, 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. So this word cannot mean that Jesus was the very first thing created. Again, Edwards going back to look at all the passages that teach us that Jesus is eternal, therefore he can't be created. We can't interpret this passage in such a way that it contradicts these other plain passages he says, of the se- seven churches addressed in Revelation 2 and 3, the church in Laodicea does not even have a faithful few. Jesus is looking for someone in this church, anyone, to answer his invitation to repent and be healed. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 22 to rejoin this living creation of God. All right. Thank you, yeah, Edward, uh, for that. So uh, Edward's putting uh, a, physical, uh, yeah. a physical slant on that, which I think works as well, that he's the beginning of the spiritual creation of God. He mentions there
2: that the beginning can be translated the ruler. Uh, Randy in Michigan in the chat room references Young's literal translation, in, which calls him the chief uh, of the creation of God. And another version says he's the uh, well that's not that's not what i'm saying yeah he says chief of the creation or the head of the creation of god It's talking about his position as ruler over uh, and so that word can suggest the idea of, again his position of authority over
1: as well all right that works as well thank you for that good um and uh let's see um aaron seems to agree that that is a possible explanation Uh, And Ramona from Texas. Ramona, thank you for your comments. She says Jehovah's Witnesses theology says that Jesus is merely the first creation of God. They also quote Colossians 2, verse 15. This verse, though, shows Jesus is is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, proving the case for deity of Christ. That's an interesting observation. Thank you, Ramona. Uh, Firstborn is an adjective in this case, firstborn man. Cain was actually the firstborn man. It does not mean a physical birth, but refers to Jesus' position to inherit the creation. The firstborn inherited the large share of his Jewish yeah. father's estate. Yeah, that's that's
2: Colossians 1.15. We were concentrating on Galatians one sixteen, which said, you know, uh, all things were created by him. The previous verse is the one that calls him the firstborn of every creature. Well, again, there we we would maybe try to read firstborn as being the first made. But here it's talking about his position of rank.
1: Yes. All right. And apparently, the the in Colossians or, or Revelation 3:14, some of these are, are referencing in the chat room. There is the possibility that it could also mean rank as well here, and yeah. that uh, he's the beginning of the creation. Yeah. So interesting observation. I
2: think those. I think that all put together. Again, I'm I'm arguing that if you just had that one expression in Revelation, and you just had that expression, the beginning of the creation of God, and you just wrote that out, and it just standing there by itself and it wasn't in any context, and it wasn't in the broader context of the whole Bible, I, I would argue that you could come to that conclusion as fairly as any other. Right. But when you take it in light of
1: everything that's said in the Bible, it's that It's going to force some be. contradictions. Yeah. If, yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right. We need to take a break. When we get back, we need your thoughts, and we need to get Monty's as well. Monty almost fell asleep. Look, he was leaned back in the chair <laughs> with his feet propped on both almost all right. We'll get his thoughts on the other side. We'll get yours as well. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this.
0: You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages.
4: Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, website, Remember that you can hit control F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit control F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Are worship pleasing to God or pleasing to man? and instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the webpage can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The bad news is time flies. The good
2: news is you're the pilot. A clever person solves a problem. A
0: wise person avoids it. Man, wish I had said that. Quit checking
1: your email. The commercials are over, and
0: the virtual Bible study is ready to roll.
1: Take it away, guys. We're back on the program. Glad you're here with us as well. As we look at various listener questions, and was, well we took care of that first question of Revelation chapter three, verse fourteen. And, uh, well,
2: let's, let's, let's tie into the second
1: one The then. second one. And, Monty, we're ready for your thoughts as well. Um, don't get too comfortable over there. Okay. We got this email
2: in. I won't name the guy because he shared some personal information in the gist of his, uh, email. I, I didn't include, I did not include that in the, uh, excerpt that I had for our questions tonight. Um, but if I can find my questions here, I'm going to read what he said. Uh, here's, oh, here we go. He says, uh, I was wondering if you would share with me your thoughts regarding the current trend of Churches of Christ preparing and charging for meals preceding the Wednesday evening services. I'm looking for a congregation to place membership with, and it seems many are practicing this. I don't want to seem too nitpicky, but I've left a congregation that started having instrumental music services and Saturday worship services that same congregation also had been selling Wednesday meals for quite some time. Some say I'm too legalistic and judgmental. Maybe I am too nitpicky. I would appreciate your thoughts or any information you can provide on this
1: subject. Yeah, well, appreciate, I appreciate the concern. Uh, and, and the listener says he don't want to be too far in one way or the other, so he wants to make sure he's right, and that's what his interest is, and we appreciate that, and that should be all of our goals. Um, you know, a
2: couple things, I mean, there's so much there that that could be commented on. You know, uh, for instance, as I was reading along there, he says that this one church that he had left started having uh, uh, instrumental, uh, what does he say, uh, instrumental music and-, and Saturday worship service. Well, we sometimes have Saturday worship service. But I think service, he's talking about taking the worship I think on yeah, that's Saturday. what I think, just for clarification there, I mean, we, we, we understand that at the church can't come together on Saturday, but there's no authority for the church to come together on Saturday and, and observe the Lord's Supper. And I think that's what he's talking about there, just for clarification.
1: All right. Um, well, uh, what about this? Well, Aaron has some interesting thoughts. We'll, we'll make his to get the discussion started. We'll look forward to yours in the chat room as well. He's, Aaron says, in brief, welcome to the club. For longer than my lifetime, people have used the terms legalistic and Pharisee and judgmental to describe those who try to point out that the church ought to confine itself to the mission and methods that God gave her in every aspect of her work. Facilitating social functions among members, even for free, is not part of the mission of the church, and God is very specific about the method he wants us to use to fund our work, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. In the New Testament, when the church distributed food, she did so for free to Christians who were in need, Acts Acts chapter 6. And when people tried to subvert the spiritual work of the church to make it social, Paul told them to eat at home, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 34, and said that their emphasis on food was evidence that they despised the church of God, verse 22. As you have seen, when churches begin to ignore the principle that we must confine ourselves to what the Bible says, they will ignore it in every facet of their work. I wish you well in your search for a church that still believes in establishing biblical authority, but you'll have to work much more than just looking for the name on the sign. And appreciate Aaron for that. I think
2: that's all right. I think Aaron is exactly right on target there. And and the
1: point is that we need to confine ourselves to what the Bible says because if we don't, if we deviate in one area, then we have lost the ability to say we can't deviate in every area. We've we've opened the barn door when we uh, let one thing come in
2: like that.
5: You know, he mentioned in, in that letter about people being like the Pharisees. But Jesus said, "Do what the Pharisees say because they're right." And the Pharisees was nitpicking on things. He said, "But don't be hypocrites about it like they were." Uh, we've been called legalistic quite often in the past or nitpicky. But if you read through the Old Testament, especially the New Testament, tells us that the Old Testament's there for our learning. We can learn a lot about the nature of God in the Old Testament, and we can see quite often that God's very nitpicky about things. Nadab and Abihu was struck dead by God. Had God had this fire consumed them because it says they offered strange fire now to us it seems like it wouldn't matter where they got the fire from one place would be as good as another because it's fire after all but god told them where to get the fire from and then when they didn't follow his instructions exactly uh, he told moses over and over do everything about this tabernacle and all these things i've told you to make exactly like the pattern you've seen on the mountain yeah so Uh, god is a nitpicky god he's a legalistic god and so it's it's we're taught to be, try to be like God, so it's, it's, if we really respect God, we're going to try to do what He says exactly the way He says do it.
2: Yep. I think that's right. You know, I, I, I really believe we have to emphasize that God is a God of detail, uh, and, and He always has been that way. And as you accurately point out, Monty, go back and read the Old Testament passages in which He describes how the tabernacle was to be made it's it's i mean very minute details are given yep. and then uh he was told make sure you do it just that way and even the hebrew writer mm-hmm. in hebrews chapter 8 uh, verse 5 rem, 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 sort of reminds his readers moses was admonished of god when he was about to make the tabernacle for see saith he that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount and so this idea that we shouldn't be nitpicky is, is wrong. We've got to be very careful to the best of our ability to observe the, all the authority and patterns that are set forth in the New Testament. Because once we deviate, then if you can have your Wednesday night meals, Jacob, I can have my Saturday night Lord's Supper. Uh, the next guy can have the instrumental music. The next guy can, what, do whatever he wants. Because... If, if we're not going to stick with, with the authority of the Scriptures and follow the patterns. And what for is the, our
1: authority? Then where, where
2: will we draw the line? Yeah. You know, everybody draws a line somewhere. I, I, you know, because I, in all my experience of talking with people, you know, I, I, I try to bring, well, could you do this? Could you do that? And they say, yes, yes, yes. Oh, no. No, you can't do that. That would be know? too much. You know, they're, they're, they're willing to say, oh, yeah, I guess that would be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no. At some point they say, no, 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 you can't do that. Right. So what they're saying is that they would draw a line somewhere. Yeah. But if you don't draw the line where you can uh, uh, establish it in the Scripture,
1: then it's just arbitrary. It is arbitrary. It's just what I prefer at that point, and then nobody's preference is any better than anyone else's. It's God's preference that matters, and we need to do it a way that he said. And so we've got to make sure uh, that we're following that. And we also reference Colossians 3, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Or do it by the authority of Jesus. We've got to have authority for the things that we practice. And so
2: I would ta- I would say to this listener, I don't think you're being legalistic. I don't think you're being nitpicky or judgmental. You're trying to do what the Bible tells us to do—to have authority. I especially like what Aaron brought up in his email. You know, we actually do have a case of a church that that began to make their meals a, just a, a common social gathering
1: the yeah, the and they
2: were violating the lord's they they were supposed to be coming together to observe the lord's supper but they had just made it into a common meal first corinthians 11 last half of first corinthians 11 deals with that i would reference our listener to that and very specifically in verse 34 he said if you're hungry eat at home don't come together unto condemnation and so uh, you know, we, we don't come to the church doesn't come together to satisfy physical hunger uh, and as aaron pointed out the only instances we have of the church providing meals was when they provided meals for needy saints,
1: uh, and they did it for free. They didn't sell it. All right. Travis says, what, selling meals? Is it a restaurant? Never heard of it before. Well, you know, it would look a lot like a restaurant, I think, if they're selling meals. Um, but, again, if we're going to deviate from what we see in the Scriptures, well, you could have a restaurant. And um,
2: you know. In the chat room, Aaron mentions a place. That, I think this is in Atlanta. It's some place down in, in the south uh, I think it's in Atlanta. There's a place called the Church of God Soup Kitchen. Uh, it started out as a church, and they started serving meals. Serving the meals was more successful than being a church. <laughs> and so now it's no longer a church. It is it is fully and just completely a restaurant, but it still goes by the name Church of God Soup Kitchen.
1: Oh Well, you that, that, uh, uh, telling uh, of the motives there. Um, and he says uh, he's never heard of Churches of Christ selling meals. Not a surprise, though. If they'll offer job training, homework assistance, and circus acts, why not sell food? Uh, that's what entertainment value, venues do. All that's right. right. That's that's exactly a good observation. guess 49.49 references that passage in, Cl- in 1 Corinthians 11, do you not have homes to eat in? And so we appreciate those comments. Let us know your other thoughts in the chat room. We've got a few more responses from our listeners on this. Um, Edward says, shame on them. The kingdom is not about eating and drinking, Romans 14, verse 17. There is no... New Testament example of the church collecting money from any form except free will offering, Acts two forty five, Acts four thirty four and thirty five, and First Corinthians sixteen two. They've gone down this road because they have already been practicing things without Bible authority. More will follow. This is uh, they are only Christ game, Christ's church in name, not practice. Come out from among them. Edward makes a good point. You don't see these drastic deviations like the woman preacher in Franklin that we noted several weeks ago, or the uh, other crazy deviations you see where, for instance, accepting of homosexuality is not being sinful anymore. You don't do that overnight. You're not the church that God wants you to be one day, and the next day you're doing things like this. You've started down a gradual path of divergence, and that has brought you to this place. I think that's right.
2: Um, Ramona said, I would say this. Find another church that holds fast to the doctrine of the New Testament. The sad thing is that many churches are on this slippery slope. Uh, and then she references Second Timothy four three. The time will come when they will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead, uh, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say uh, to say what their itching ears want to hear. Yes. And so I, that and that has happened. But you know, it's kind of funny. I uh, through the years I've used an example. You know, you and I are. We'd be authorized to start a, a hot dog stand. Would the church be authorized to start a hot dog stand? And I've meant that to be ludicrously uh, extreme yeah. as an illustration. Yeah.
5: Apparently, the church they
2: references here has started <laughs> yeah. a hot they, dog they stand. They would say, Well, sure, we can start a hot dog stand. In fact, we have. Yeah,
1: you're going to have to get a little more extreme. <laughs> yeah. I think that's you right. Step it up a notch. All right. Let's get a break, When we get back. uh, More listener questions now. The rest of the program is going to be about the Lord's Supper. Some very interesting questions. Want to know about eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? That's a question I think a lot of people have, and I appreciate our listener for asking that. So we'll we'll talk about that. and, uh, And then some other questions about the Lord's Supper as well. So you'll want to be here for that. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this.
0: Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement.
2: This is Greg Gwen with this week's Bullet Point. Theatrical performances require lots of preparation in order to be successful. Efforts to set the stage are needed to make a play, skit, or musical production effective. Much work is done for the show. Unfortunately, many religious folks also like to make a show of their good works. There's a determined effort on their part to make sure others will be aware of what they have done, are doing, or are planning to do. But here's where Jesus urged us to actually avoid things that would draw attention to our actions. In the Sermon on the Mount, he repeatedly warned about doing our deeds to be, quote, seen of men. Matthew 6, beginning verse 1 and following. We must carefully heed his warning. The next time you have an opportunity to serve, help, or encourage someone else, do it without any concern that others will know and commend you for what you have done. Know that God is always aware and will bless you for your work. Proverbs 15.3 says that, quote, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. We often use this verse to warn that no sin is hidden from God, but notice that no good deed goes unnoticed by him either. So don't worry that he won't see and know what you've done in his service. Of course, frequently our good deeds will be noticed by others. This is not because we sought such attention, but simply because others learn of these things in a natural, unannounced manner. When this is the case, our desire should be to direct all the glory and honor to the Father. Also in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, verse 16. Let us do nothing for the show, that is, with a desire to direct attention to ourselves. Let us do everything to point others to Him. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
4: Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time?
0: Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back,
1: and, and thanks for recording those uh, segments every week, by the way. We ought to almost podcast those. You can do that like a daily podcast.
2: There's a bunch of them out there now. There's You've bunch, got, uh, yeah,
1: there's, years, uh, there's, and there's,
2: years There's several hundred uh, uh, bullet points out there.
1: Looking, maybe almost like a year of podcasts. Those. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you being here on the program tonight. Uh, we want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And we encourage you at any time, if you have questions about what we've said, if you disagree with what we've said, or if you just want to comment about what we've said, questions at collegeu.com. And uh, if you've got a suggestion for a future edition of the program, questions at collegeu.com. And we might ask if you don't have anything to say, just send us an email and tell us where you are. And where you listen, how you maybe,
2: listen. And, where, or, and Maybe how you found
1: out about yeah, us, how yeah. long you've been listening. Because yeah. we hear from various people from time to time, hey, I've been listening to you for several years. Well, we didn't know you were out there, if you don't mind.
2: All so, it takes just, is an
1: email. Just drop us an email. Questions
2: at dot com and say, I, I listen usually in the podcast. I live in such and such a place, and here's how I found
1: out about it. Well, maybe you, you got some cr- constructive criticism. You guys need to do this differently.
2: Yeah, yeah. Part your hair on the other side.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> we got a little confusing. We've got two Travises in the in the chat room. Travis V, and then another Travis. Tra- the, the Travis the without Travis. the V yeah. says it's okay to eat at the church. But I want to spend just a minute talking about that. You know, we understand that this church building, made out of brick and stone and and wood and asphalt shingles on the roof and all that, this is not the temple of the Old Testament. This and this building is not sacred in the sense that you know, like uh, you, you know, certain ones couldn't even enter parts of this of the tabernacle and temple. Mm-hmm. It's not like that uh, but this this building had this building stands by virtue of authority in the scripture for the purposes for which it was designed it was designed to be a tool for Bible study and evangelism it uh, and, and we believe it's authorized and we, we've talked about authority for the church building. we got I think we've got a whole VBS study on right. authority for the church building yeah. but it's only authorized for the things that it that it's per, Scripturally provided for. Uh, let's say, Monty, you're, you're a you know you're, you're a good machinist. You know you, that's your job. You you do t- you do skilled machine work, and so you decide that you're going to bring a um, CNC mill in and set it up uh, in 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 one of the rooms of the church building and start a little business there. You know, you know, you know just maybe come over in the evenings and throw, turn out a few parts, and make a little extra money on the side. Could could you do that? Could we let you do that? Well, no, it's that's just that's not what this building's provided for. That that would be a violation of authority. Uh, we, we can't do that, and so that's why we say uh, that the church is not authorized to provide for common meals. There's no authority, and the church building then is not a venue
1: for such things. In other words, it would be sponsoring and uh, and and providing for those. Yeah,
2: things. now. We're not saying that you can't put a morsel of food in your mouth within the confines of this building. Nobody I know says that. In fact, it happens with some regularity here. Mothers bring their babies to Bible study and worship service. And feed them while they're here. Mm-hmm. That's somebody eating in the church building. I actually do that fairly often. I get a a, a little lunch or bring a lunch yeah. and set at my desk and and I saw and some eat.
1: remnants of that in your trash can. Yeah, I need yeah. to talk to you about your your yeah. choices of of food there. Yeah, that wasn't a very good choice you made.
2: What was it? Wendy's. Oh, Wendy's. Yeah, Wendy's yeah. is good. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> right, right, right,
1: right.
2: but. Um, so we're not saying that you can't put a bite of food in your mouth within the confines of this building, but we are saying the church is not authorized to facilitate the eating of common meals, and it's not the authorized use of this facility to accomplish that purpose okay. of the church meeting to to join together in a, in a common meal.
1: All right. All right. Let us know your thoughts. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. We need to get rolling now to the questions about the Lord's Supper because we're going to have lots to talk about here.
2: All right, so we got this email, and there's quite a bit to it. The first part of all goes together, so let's read this. In the past, I'm talking about previous episodes of the Virtual Bible Study, concerning 1 Corinthians 11:27 through 29, you indicated that the unworthy manner being referred to is not remembering his death while on the cross. You also stated that this does not mean that we are to be sinless. So let's stop there for just a minute. Let's read that in 1st Corinthians 11:27.
1: First, I think there might be a misunderstanding of what our position on that but I don't think we would say it in that way.
2: Probably not. Yeah. yeah. But here's here's the verse under question. 1st Corinthians 11 beginning verse 27, "Wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord." But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: All right, so those are the verses under question. Now, we got to let the verse say what it says. we got to let it, you know, we can't put into it something. Right. It actually tells us what the unworthy manner is. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse 27 says that you could partake, Not notice, not in an uh, you not that you're unworthy. We're all unworthy. Nobody's right. worthy. I think that's the point we you said. You know, no, none of us are worthy of the of the sacrifice of Jesus. No, none of us are worthy of what He did for us. But it doesn't say unworthy. It says unworthily. It's the manner in which it is being partaken. The New King James it translates it that read, way. Read unworthy that
1: way. manner. Whoever takes eats of it and drinks and, in and an, an unworthy, unworthy manner. Okay. So what
2: would be the unworthy manner? Yeah. Well, verse 29 identifies that uh, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily or in an unworthy manner eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Uh, And so it was all done. The the verses leading up this say, you know, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, Verse 26 is off. You eat this bread and drink this cup. You show the Lord's death till he comes. So it is a remembrance of the sacrificial death of Jesus and this passage, talking about taking it in an unworthy manner, or as the King James says, taking it unworthily, is taking it in w- without regard for what it's about, without without consideration for its
1: purpose, and not in, remembering. In conjunction with that is verse twenty-eight: "But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of the cup." So, in conjunction with remembering the Lord's death, I also am examining myself in relation to that, and 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 asking myself: Am I living according to the covenant? uh that christ's death established as i as i partake of the this. Yeah. now now
2: our question goes on i can understand that verse 27 is specific specifically speaking of partaking the elements themselves in an unworthy manner but the following verse such as verse 28 that you just mentioned make me think that we may need to do more if we are in sin Well, i think obviously yes yes yes, yes. you know uh let's say i you know
5: if I'm then, living in adultery, I don't need to be the gonna, Lord's and Supper. And, not I'm not written, and I'm, I'm not trying to change, But
2: I'm taking the Lord's Supper. And there's no reason for you to. I mean, what would be the purpose mm-hmm. of it? If you were refusing to re- repent of that sin. You're not discerning the Lord's.
5: obviously could care less about Jesus at that point. It, yeah. You're not discerning yeah.
2: the Lord's body, yeah. body yeah. at that yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. And so I would agree with that. That, that certainly all we said, I, I, I want to make sh- clear, the unworthy manner is not remembering Jesus. Mm-hmm. But we are supposed to consider our own selves in the process of this. Yeah. And and I, I think it almost goes without saying that if I have got sin in my life that I'm refusing to repent of, I'm just wasting my
1: time yeah. uh, you know, uh, in observing the Lord. Something. The rest of the context goes on. For this reason, many are sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may be con- uh, con- not be condemned with, with the world. So... This Part of this process of taking the Lord's Supper money is to examine our own lives and make sure that we're living like Christ. Yeah, and and our our listener
2: goes on to say, essentially I'm saying that it is obvious that we can partake of the emblems unworthily by not remembering Christ's death, but I don't know that that, that alone explains the partaking of the emblems in an unworthy manner. Therefore, I don't know if I agree with your conclusion, so I'm curious to get your thought on the. Uh, so, yes, I, I think we're on the same page there. I think he's saying the same thing we were saying. I do think that the unworthy manner is in not remembering Jesus. Uh but certainly the context also suggests examine yourself. And so we should do that. And if there if, if and it should cause us to reflect on you know, um I think the the Hebrew writer says that if we sin uh we uh verse six Hebrews six verse six if we fall away, to uh, they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. And so here, money, as you said, uh, here I am. I've committed this sin of adultery, and I won't repent of it. But I'm going to take this Lord's Supper anyway. Well, it's like putting Him to an open shame.
1: Yeah. and uh, I would I would say, I would say that's not discerning the Lord's body there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it'd be part of that. Yeah. part of that. And, and let's, let's, see what, let's see he what goes he goes on. He goes on. He says. Uh, um, he says, "I don't know if I agree with your conclusion, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on these following passages." First Corinthians five verse seven uh, says, "We cannot keep the feast if we have some evil in our lives." So, would it uh, seem to it? So, it would seem to me that if there was some sin in our lives, that we would need to confess such sin before partaking the bread.
2: I, well, I'm going to say yes. I mean, what's the use of partaking the bread if you're not willing to confess your sins? I don't think that First Corinthians five, 7, eight, that that's an allusion to the Old Testament observing the Passover and getting the sin out. out. But here in the context of first Corinthians five, it's about that uh, sinful brother that the church wouldn't discipline. And the leaven that he wanted them to get out was that sinful brother by way of church discipline. They, they, they needed to stand up to that guy and tell him his, that he was wrong. I I don't think that that has application to the
1: Lord's supper. But It does. Does we need to get rid of sin? Sure. And and so yeah, like you said, why take it if you're not going to get rid of sin? And then, First, uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 and 24 perhaps is a more compelling passage along these lines uh, where it says uh, in, uh, in verse uh, verse 23 that um, therefore if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift uh, there before the altar and go your way first be reconciled to your brother and then come again and offer your gift. I think that passage tells us to Same, take care yeah, of the sin right yeah, now. Yeah, I
2: think I think that's probably the better verse in regards to that. It says, you know, you're wasting your time trying to worship God if you've got a sin that you haven't addressed. You need to do that because your worship is not acceptable until you take care of that. All right, so uh, so I agree. With, I agree with that. I, I I think and I think that's the better verse to make that point. Okay,
1: so uh, we think we agree here. Yeah, uh, let's read what Aaron
2: to... says. Uh, uh, Aaron says, I don't want to short-circuit the question, but it seems to me that any time one has sin in his life, he should strive to correct it at that time, whether or not the Lord's Supper is in the picture. Although I believe that 1 Corinthians 5 contains an allegorical reference to the Supper and that Paul is saying that our lives should be as free of leaven as the bread of the Supper, I think he's talking about what we should do all the time, not just on Sundays. I would
1: agree with that. All right, and Edward uh, says, uh, let's see here. The sin being committed in this passage is not only the sin of forgetting the death of the cross, the sin of omission, but the attitude of the Christians using this unifying symbol, his body and blood, as an occasion for division. Uh, this is a sin of pride, a sin of commission. The following passages do deal with other aspects of walking in light, so rather than stretch the meaning of First Corinthians 11, we should simply understand that these passages apply as well. Okay. Thank you for that, Edward.
2: I think, and the other email doesn't address that, and so maybe we've covered that. I think I, I think we're on the same page there, uh, uh, and I, maybe our previous answer was unclear, or yeah. m- maybe we didn't maybe did take all aspects of that into consideration. But uh, hopefully, it's understood. We definitely think that if you're if you've got a sin, take care of it. Take care of that, and and I mean, to me, it just almost you can't even imagine why. So- I think Christians do though. I think there are some who do that. They think that sort of taking that bread and fruit of the vine, and Lord's Supper, is sort of the be-all and end-all. And whether you're doing right or not, or anything else, just got to gulp that down and you know take that that bite, and, and it makes everything okay. Yeah, I, I mean I think that's illustrated even in the case we've seen people who will come in, you know, uh, to an assembly and maybe the Lord's Supper is one of the first things done in the assembly, and they'll take the Lord's Supper and then leave, and they won't stay for the rest of the assembly, as though that one act is all that matters. That one act is very important, but it's, it's in the the full picture of a faithful Christian life and a and a, and a, and a total worship service. Lonnie.
5: You know, someone asked me one time, they were a fallen-away person they'd been withdrawn from, and they came and they took the Lord's Supper, and they asked me, was, well, was it all right for me to have done that? I said, well, I guess it was all right, but it didn't benefit you none because your life's not right with God anyway, and you're not correcting it. You're not making any effort to fix that or to to take care of it. So, in effect, you know, it would have been like taking that judgment on itself. They were taking it in an unworthy manner because their life was not right with God.
1: Right. Okay. All right. Well, Uh let's get a break. When we get back, some more questions about the Lord's Supper. Uh, we want to look at those. We want to take your thoughts as well. Maybe you've got a question about what we've said so far. Let us know. Questions at collegeview.com are in the chat room tonight. There's a lot of
2: activity in the chat room. There's, there's they still, are they're still talking tangent to, in there. They're, they're still talking about that can you eat in the church building question. They're not
1: paying attention to the teacher tonight. They're talking in the back of the room. Yeah, yeah. Wake up. Class, come <laughs> to order here. <laughs> we'll get back uh, to the discussion right after this.
0: These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this.
3: I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist, but that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. Research from the Kaiser
2: Family Foundation concerning media use by children ages 8 through 18 shows that kids spend almost 8 hours a day using media. The largest chunk of this time is with TV, four and a half hours a day. Music has grown the most since 1999, then TV, then computers. MP3 ownership has quadrupled in the last five years. Mobile phone ownership has doubled. Tweens use more media than other ages, 8 hours and 40 minutes a day. On average, kids use media more than they sleep. That information is via parentinginthedigitalage.com. The Word of God says in Deuteronomy 6, beginning verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up.
0: Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this
1: world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight. If those stats don't give you chills, uh, I don't know what will. Uh, we need to have another program on that before long. I yeah. think, uh the
2: media thing. in our homes. There's yeah. your there's your title right there, Jacob. Yeah, the media in the Christian home.
1: Yeah, Ooh. Travis is in the chat room, and uh, Travis and I were talking earlier today about where our society is going, and uh, I think you can pinpoint it a lot to those stats that you just mentioned. Uh, the, the constant exposure to those immoral themes is having its effect absolutely travis is in the chat room tonight and has said, on the road in his big rig on his yeah thank you for your comments he says how can people remember the sacrifice of jesus without remembering their sins i think he said on a good point there how can you properly discern christ's body without examining yourself and making and what sure what it was you, for and what, what, what how it affects me and my salvation right and how i'm living with respect to that sacrifice thank you travis for that
2: Okay, all right. We're going to the last set of questions, also about the Lord's Supper, from the same questioner. Other questions he says about the Lord's Supper. Number one, First Corinthians ten fifteen through seventeen. Clearly, if we do not take the bread, uh, clearly if we do not partake of the bread, then we are not part of the one body. This scripture seems to tell me that we need to partake of the supper together and not to separate it. Communion means fellowship. How could we have fellowship in the Lord's Supper if we took it at different times? What are your thoughts? All right, I'm going to start that by saying I agree. I think that the Lord's Supper is to be done in the assembly of the saints. Uh, I have made the point before. I've had people disagree with me about this, but I have made the point before that if I was a Christian alone on the Lord's Day, I don't think I'd have authority to observe the Lord's Supper. It is something to do in... Fellowship or in communion with others in the body of Christ.
1: You're, you, you, you. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but then it was not in the news a lot. But uh, when Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon, first men on the moon, right after they landed, there was a mo- there was the, the the broadcast went so the communication went silent, and he did that to partake of the Lord's Supper uh, on the moon. On the moon. Now that's that's neat, but I would have a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. But in the media, all hushed that they didn't want that out, and that was the government. I don't, I don't even know. Either.
2: I don't know if I knew that to Look this very up. moment. Look yeah. it
1: up. He did. Um, but you got to ask: Is it? Is that right? Well, you know,
2: go over one chapter from First Corinthians and go back to chapter eleven, where we were just talking about observing the Lord's Supper, and notice how Paul introduces that discussion about taking the Lord's Supper in First Corinthians eleven verse twenty. When you come together, therefore, into one place. This is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, everyone take it before other his own supper. One is hungry, another is drunk, and he goes on and condemns them how they had made this into a common meal. But the implication of his statement is when they come together into one place, it should have been to observe the Lord's Supper, and it was. that's not what they were doing. Doing They came together. When you come together uh, into one place, they they come together. Christians come together to observe, observe the Lord's Supper. That's the way it ought to be. Uh, so uh, I would argue that that it is something to be done in the assembly with other Christians. Um, Aaron says, although I would not argue it from 1 Corinthians 10, I do believe that when Luke tells us that the disciples came together to break bread, Acts 20, verse 7, he is telling us that God's intent is for us to partake together. That is why I do not participate in the offering of the supper to only a few on Sunday evening. I believe that this is inappropriate as we are invited as if we invited one person to sing a song for us because he couldn't sing that morning. Our singing should should be to one another, and the Lord's Supper should be taken together. Greg, I think you have heard you say you think a requirement of the Lord's Supper is that it should be taken in the assembly, but I think the implication of Acts 20, verse 7 is stronger than that, and we cannot seriously say that we come together to break bread on Sunday night when most or perhaps all of us do not do that. I I want to reserve comments about the Sunday night Lord's Supper. I thought that that might come up. Um, uh, I'm I'm not in complete agreement with what Aaron has said there. I I will just say this. I think one of the reasons we come together on Sunday night is for the Lord's Supper. I think that's a stated purpose. We we make a, uh, a, a purpose Make that a purpose of our coming together, but we probably—I don't know that we've ever dealt thoroughly with that on the virtual Bible study. Maybe we can in the future deal a whole a whole program on the Sunday night uh, Lord's Supper question, can a second serving of the Lord's Supper kind of question?
1: And Aaron but, might have just volunteered to be a, a guest on that
2: program. Yeah, we, we'll get we'll get Aaron to participate with us, and I think it's it's a worthy question. <laughs> I I know that Aaron and I probably don't come to the same conclusion on that, but it's a, certainly a worthy question. But I do think that. That it is in the assembly. I think it's when we come together. Uh, and as I said, uh, and I think Aaron agreed with that. He said he doesn't, uh, uh, no, he was talking about the Lord's uh, Sunday night, but I, I, when I'm alone, if I'm alone, there's only, and that's only happened. In fact, I can't even remember that happening. But if I was alone on Sunday, uh, I wouldn't observe the Lord's Supper. You know, uh, I, I if, if I was home sick on Sunday, I wouldn't take the Lord's Supper, you know.
1: And what common practice is to take the Lord's Supper to someone in the hospital? You no, know, we used, i
2: remember when I was a kid, we used to do that. In fact, they had a little traveling kit uh, that they that they could hold some fruit of the vine and some uh, unleavened bread, and and they would take it into the Lord, uh, to the to the uh, uh, someone sick in the hospital, for instance. I don't think that's I don't think that's appropriate. Uh, I guess it could be done, but. What that's what that suggests is that the Lord's Supper is a more important act of worship than the singing and yep. and everything else we do. Right. If we're gonna if we're gonna do a full fledged worship service together with the person in the hospital room, then maybe you could argue in favor of that. But not just the one act. Uh, I don't think that would be reasonable.
1: Uh, Edward uh, has sent in his response. He says, "Is the only criterion for taking the Lord's is time the only criterion for taking the Lord's Supper?" Paul Paul's language in First Corinthians ten. 14-17 answers no for he includes himself we in this body and bread but he himself is not present with them Paul is in Ephesus he references 1 Corinthians 16 verse 8 the purpose of the Lord's Supper as revealed to Paul 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 verses 23-26 through 26, is proclaiming the death of Jesus in unity of faith hope and fellowship it is a memorial for all believers from the first century to the final coming of Christ that transcends time and place. This purpose, unity in faith, hope and fellowship, can be violated within the local church and must be corrected, 1 Corinthians 11, 17-22. But Paul avoids the legalistic trap of prescribing an exact time and place for them to do it. Chronology and exact timing are not as important as observing the proper faith and fellowship. Yes, we can take it at different times. It happens every Sunday around the globe. Hmm. He says it would be possible in theory for a congregation to time their swallowing of the bread and fruit of the vine down to a one one hundredth of a second as they wait for one another, but still be guilty of violating the unity of faith, hope, and fellowship of one another with an ungodly attitude. To use 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 to teach that everyone in a local congregation must, be, must all be present and take the bread and fruit of the vine at the same time goes beyond what Paul is saying. He is simply saying that it cannot be used to promote discord and division. I agree with it. I agree with that, but but, Edwards, but
2: it also talks about coming together.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and so I don't think you can just
1: you ignore that.
2: Home? I don't. Uh, it, it is a coming together. The, the disciples, as Aaron pointed out, in Acts twenty-seven, came together on the Lord's day for this purpose. It, there is a coming together to observe the Lord's supper.
1: All right. Travis says we take it to shut-ins, just the Lord's supper, and I don't agree unless we do all acts of worship. So he's he's in disagreement with some of the folks I guess he worships with, and maybe it's not right to take it to the shut-ins.
4: Now
2: somebody else, I guess, 1771 says uh, about a Christian who took the Lord's Supper as others did, while on Skype, yeah, see, that, that, yeah that's, that, something, that's, that's something that's coming. coming. That's, that's coming. coming. Where are you
1: Good. going to stand on that one? What yeah. do you
2: think, Monty? Can you do like a, a virtual, virtual assembly? Church? We're doing a virtual Bible study. Can we do a? When, so we've got a we've got a Bible study to group together here, but we're not all in the same place. We're out there in cyberspace uh, uh, interacting. Could we do that in uh, and, in and worship? In other words, we all get connected on uh, what, what is that Google? Google Meet, meet a hang a hangout on Google. We would do that a Google. sounds a little
1: hangout. bit irreverent to call church a hangout.
2: But. but let's say we all got all got our internet connection, and so we're all looking at each other and and, and interacting uh, virtually. Could we? Do, I don't think so. There's a coming together, and it's it it, it wasn't uh, by proxy through the internet. It was in person. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's gonna that's coming. You can you can see the. Hey, we're gonna run out middle. of time.
2: We gotta go. We gotta go. Keep here. going. All right. So real quick, uh, our, our questioner asks: Is there supposed to be some sort of cleansing ritual associated with Lord's Supper? What I mean is that if we partake the Lord's Supper, that it is at that point that the Christian sins will be cleansed. No, I think I can answer that one quick. Where did that ever come? Where did that idea ever come from? Yeah. That our that our sins are cleansed in the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. I don't know that he believes that. He's just asking the question, and I'd say that that that, that
1: to me the clear answer there is no. Well. <laughs> Uh, Aaron answers that. He says, "When we find a Christian in the New Testament who was caught up in sin, he references Simon the sorcerer in Acts eight. He was told to repent and pray not to go partake of the Lord's Supper."
2: Yeah, yeah. So I think that one's probably the easier one. I, again, I don't know that our questioner believes that. He's just asking the question. No, and then he, uh, he,
1: it, it, uh, Aaron suggests maybe that idea came from the Catholic Church that there maybe is some type of. Uh, Pardoning or forgiving of yeah, sins. Yeah, Ed
2: says, a "Christian, no, a Christian sin is forgiven when he repents and confesses of those sins." First John one verse nine, um, so forth. Lord's Supper reminds us of the privilege we have in being forgiven because of what He did on the cross.
1: Okay, all right, two more
2: questions. Uh, uh, how much time? Oh man, you got two, uh, you
1: got two minutes. One minute per question. Is there any
2: other significant thing about the Lord's Supper? Is its sole purpose to remember Christ? Uh, Ed says. Uh, is there anything greater to remember than the, in other words, he says, really? The questions, you know, you're kind of surprised by the question. Is there anything greater to remember than the death and the resurrection of Christ? All other issues, forgiveness, fellowship especially, uh, are possible only because of his death. I think that's right. But it's
1: right. not so, I mean, we saw in 1 Corinthians 11, another purpose of the Lord's Supper is to examine ourselves. So I think, it, I think there's a, a dual meaning here, a dual, dual purpose here. We're showing his, forth his death. We're examining ourselves.
2: Well, it does cause self-reflection. Self-reflection, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. that's a purpose. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, what is the benefit of the Lord's Supper to us? Aaron says it reminds us of the central reason why we exist as a church and the central act that made our forgiveness possible. It should be a reminder about our mission to spread the gospel of salvation. Okay. Uh, Ed says, we proclaim his death. We announce, declare, report his death and everything that it means to our hearts, to our fellow believers, and to the lost world. We do this in faith of the resurrection for all of us, 1 Corinthians fifteen sixteen and following. Uh, if there is not enough benefit for us doing that, then we do not understand the gospel.
1: Uh, and uh, Ramona says, remembering that Christ died for our sins. And that sums it up well.
2: Yeah. Thank all you, right. Ramona, for that. Yeah, good. All right. I think those are great questions. I think an uh, important discussion. Good
1: discussion. Thank you for that tonight. Uh, Monty, thank you for your comments and for being here as well. Thank you, Jackie. How many weeks in a row is this? Only three. Only three. All right. We'll try not to make it four for your benefit next week. Um, It might be for my benefit to be here. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Monty. Thank you, Monty. Thank you for your time. And thank you for listening tonight. We hope you benefit from our study (laughs) and discussion of God's Word. And we do solicit your questions, your comments at any time. Question at collegeview.com. Make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you, put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.